Folks, welcome back to another episode of Mayhem in the Mid-South. Today's episode, we're going to look at the Deep South Bomb Spree. Folks, our story is going to begin in May of 1972 when a bomb exploded inside of a house in Macon, Georgia. Now, this bomb had been addressed to a local car dealer. Now, this local car dealer had repossessed a a vehicle and that repossessed vehicle belonged to the suspect that we're going to be talking about today. This is just a preview of what he has in store for people he gets upset with. We're going to learn not only is he an evil man, but he's a very cruel man. So now the bomb exploded because... The suspect's wife at the time had opened the package. Now, she wasn't killed, but the federal government takes a dim view of people who are in possession of bombs. Now, he was convicted in federal court in Macon for possessing the bomb. Now, they couldn't They couldn't get the charge manufacturing the bomb to stick. So evidently the jury just didn't see that there was enough evidence to prove that he had actually made the bomb because, of course, he said he didn't do it. So now he does his three years in federal prison and he gets out. Now there was a mention in the resource material that our intrepid evildoer had uh, been studying to be an attorney. Now, of course, having a conviction on your record, especially for possessing a bomb and doing time in prison, that kind of hurts your chances of being able to take the bar exam and become an attorney. Now, that was listed as one reason why He was so upset after he did his three years. So he had a dream that he was going to get this charge overturned on his 1972 conviction. So he came up with this story. Now it's humorous. The resource material calls it an elaborate story. But then again, now this information I'm giving you came from the appellate court. So the appellate court is contains a lot of smart men and women, so they get to use words like uh, elaborate. But anyways, I guess in the case of this suspect, you could call it that. But he decided that the person who had made the bomb was a fellow named Gene Wallace. Now, Gene Wallace didn't exist, except in his mind. And according to him, this mysterious Gene Wallace was the one that had made them made the bomb. 
Now, the fact he even got him a witness to substantiate this account. He found a destitute young handicapped woman, and he paid her some money, monthly installments, while she worked on her fabricated story. So finally, the suspect, after his this poor woman has got her story down pat, he petitions the court. Now, I'm not even going to try to pronounce what it was his writ was that he petitioned under, but it sure sounds important. But basically, it's a writ of error. In other words, the court's got it wrong, and he wants them to wipe it clean. Now, the district court, they denied the petition. And then the appellate court denied it. And that appellate court's the same appellate court that I'm getting this information from. Now, when they denied it, there was an even fancier word. It looks like it's French. Now, those denials came in 1989, June and August of 1989. So all these 10-cent words flying around, a little bit of Latin thrown in, because we are talking about the legal system. Either way, it didn't work for him. Well, now he's upset. So he decided he was going to wreak revenge on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers the state of Alabama. Now, his first plot was... He was going to produce some kind of a deadly war gas, a poison gas. And he was going to send it in the mail and kill people. Now that that sounds like a really intelligent thing to do. Now he got his girlfriend at the time, who would later become his wife, to go out and buy all the items that he needed for this master plan. Now, unfortunately, he just couldn't get that gas to work like he wanted it to. So then he decided to do something a little less lethal. And he constructed and he mailed a tear gas package to the NAACP regional office in Atlanta. Now, his belief was that if he did some mailings to civil rights groups, civil rights individuals, that would throw the authorities off and they would never figure out it's him because this is all about revenge about his conviction this doesn't have anything to do with any racial beliefs one way or the other he's just using this as his smoke screen well anyways he mails that package off and that bomb that tear gas bomb explodes August 21st 1989 Now, it gassed a lot of the employees, obviously. If you've never got a whiff of tear gas, believe me, you don't want to. It's nasty. Makes stuff come out of your nose and mouth that you just can't believe came out of you. Now, also to help cover his tracks, he sent out a declaration of war. He sent it to some of the courts and television stations across the country. Now, he made up a fancy name for this group this fictional group now in these letters he sent out he accused the 11th circuit of deliberate misconduct and rank bias and threatened poison gas attacks across american cities 
But now he decided no more tear gas. Now he was going to start killing people. So in the fall of 1989, he starts getting the materials together to make his mail bombs. And he sends out his girlfriend slash soon-to-be wife out to the various sundry places to buy all his needed goods. Now, he's got a friend of his down in Florida, Titusville, Florida, to be exact. Now, he got his buddy down there to do some, what the courts called, basic metal work, which was going to be required to construct the pipe bombs because the suspect had a precise specification for how these devices are supposed to be built. Now, after he's all said and done, he's got four package bombs. In fact, the appellate court described them as four powerful package bombs. And basically what it was, was these four devices had black powder, batteries, and rubber bands that secured the nails to the bomb's exterior. So you've got the nails that are shrapnel, and then you're going to have, obviously, pieces of the bomb itself that metal material so you're going to have a lot of shrapnel flying around and anybody that opens one of these packages obviously is going to suffer grievous injuries as we're going to find out it's going to lead to fatal injuries now what's going to come back to haunt them is the fact that all four of these bombs are just alike now it's December 14th 1989 suspect mailed out his first package That first package went to Judge Robert Vance. Now, Judge Vance lived in Mountain Brook, Alabama, which is an affluent neighborhood in South Birmingham. Now, the return address on that package showed to be from a fellow judge. So, of course, Judge Vance, it's around Christmas. He's just thinking this other judge is sending him a package. Now, over the next two days, he sent these package bombs, one to the Jacksonville branch of the NAACP, another to an attorney named Robert Robinson. Now, Mr. Robinson, he lived down in Savannah, Georgia. And then he sent the last one to the clerk's office of the appellate court of the 11th Circuit. Now, December 16th, Judge Vance gets that package and he opens it up. He opens it up on his kitchen table. He's sitting on one side and his wife on the other. And the blast, if it doesn't kill Judge Vance immediately, it's just seconds later. Now his wife, she's seriously injured by the blast. Now two days later, December 18th, Mr. Robinson, civil rights activist and an attorney who does most of his work in Atlanta he owns his package in his office there in Savannah now unfortunately for Mr. Robinson he didn't die immediately he hung on for several hours and the appellate court describes it as he lingered in agony for several hours now that's pretty strong language for a court so obviously Mr. Robinson that, that must have been a horrible few hours. 
Mr. Robinson died. Now, package number three that was going to the Court of Appeals there, their building in Atlanta, the x-ray machine got it. Well, it's described, it sounds like court security officers may have seen it on a screening when they were trying to get it into the building. So that one is possessed intact by local authorities. Now the fourth one, Jacksonville Office of the NAACP, they didn't, they didn't open the package and they called the police because they'd heard about the other bombings. Now the suspect, he mails some letters out threatening assassination and he makes up the name of a fictitious anti-black organization and it was titled Americans for a Competent Federal Judicial System. That's way too long. But that was the name he came up with. I bet he took hours coming up with that name. Now he sent that letter out to each judge of the 11th Circuit. He also sent it out to media outlets and others across the country. Now later on they'd come up in court. Testimony from, I surmise it was his wife. There was a bombing about that same time in Maryland and it was of a state judge. Now, allegedly the suspect told his wife, I didn't do that one. And he also said, that one is not mine, something to that effect. Now, later on in court, it's going to come up that the federal government had taped the suspect. They'd gotten warrants to wiretap. That was at his house. And later on, when he's initially arrested, they're taping his jail cell conversations. The conversations he's having are with himself because he talks to himself out loud. Some of the things that were admitted in the court were things like, now you've killed two, now you can't pull another bombing. Now, according to the government's investigation, there was one pipe bomb in all its records that matched the characteristics of all four of the mail bomb. And in this case, it was containing an end plate secured by threaded rods or bolts in a box designed for mailing. Now, the reason they know that the four that were mailed out matches the one they already got from back in 72 is because ATF and then local authorities were able to defuse both those bombs. So they had them intact, so they could examine them. But now, according to the federal government, the bomb that they recovered from the suspect's residence in 1972, because evidently he had another one, besides the one that blew up and about killed his first wife, they were a match. Now, according to the FBI explosives expert, he says the four package bombs and the 1972 bomb were made by the same person. Now, the federal government, they had about 70 charges on him, and he was sentenced to life. Now, the state of Alabama was a little less sympathetic 
of the suspect. Now, he went on trial in the great state of Alabama, and he was found guilty, and they sentenced him to death. And in 2008, he was executed by the state of Alabama, and he was the oldest inmate, I believe, ever executed. All this allegedly over the fact he wanted to be an attorney. But I think there was more to it than that. I just think there was something obviously wrong with him. He was sick in the mind. <laughs>